Hi, welcome to the November Essential Vegan Desserts Live event. I'm Fran Costigan, the director of Vegan Pastry at the Ruby Culinary School and the co-developer of the wonderful Essential Vegan Desserts course. I'm very glad everyone's here. I know we are all busy and that you're taking the time to visit with me is great. So thank you very much. This is um, countdown to the American Thanksgiving holiday. And many of us are busy thinking about it, um, making travel plans. What are we going to eat? What are we going to make and so on? So I'm gonna get to those questions. I was able to see some of the questions ahead and they're great. So I really wanna dive in, but a little introduction first. So the blurb for this live event said top tips. <laughs> and um, I, would, I was thinking about that. There are so many tips around. Well, my top tip actually, this is what I do for myself, is to make an intention to be relaxed and joyful. What's the point of having a meal with friends and family when you are so stressed about how are you going to get things done? What if something doesn't come out exactly the way you intended to? Um, you'll have a really good time at your own party with when you start by feeling relaxed and believe me, the love will come through to the food. Julia Child said, never apologize about something that you're presenting. So don't do that. So, you know, there are ways to get to this place of being relaxed by planning out how you're going to approach Thanksgiving or any holiday or any party, large or small. Now, in terms of Thanksgiving, whether you're eating a plant-based Thanksgiving or not, the meal is generally a very large one, <laughs> a very large one. I have always been about the sides. Now, I've been plant-based for close to 30 years. Um, I never really cared for the taste of turkey. It didn't seem to me like it tasted like anything. It was always the sides that were delicious. I no longer like that feeling of being super stuffed after a meal. And while plant-based meals, for me, I've noticed over the years, I don't feel quite as uh, food hungover. You know, still too much is too much. That said, I don't worry about what I'm going to eat. I don't worry that I'm going to eat more than I normally do. Uh, I am ready to enjoy my large meal. That said, desserts, and there are specific ones that seem to be associated with the Thanksgiving meal. I have always wondered about, you know, eat this big multi-course meal. Mine starts usually with when I have people in, or if I'm at my daughter's house helping her prepare a meal, I'll have a small, I'll serve small cups of a vegetable soup, usually a squash soup or squash ginger. I think the spices and herbs that we use can help us with digestion and a little bit of cornbread. 
actually, Patrick, would you show my adorable cornbread sticks if you can? Um, I have this pan. <laughs> it's not super practical because one, two, three, four, there are only, there's only room for five, but it makes really adorable corn sticks. And for a pre-meal cornbread, I will make my plant-based cornbread in a, you know, in usually a nine by nine inch pan or a cast iron pan that really gives it a nice crusty bottom, which I personally like and serve small squares with the soup. And this gives people an opportunity if they come hungry to have a little nosh and me a chance to finish cooking with help or without help. So, you know, again, I started talking about desserts. I find it a little difficult to have this groaning board of desserts right after the meal. But I like to plan desserts that go from super simple fruit desserts or maybe a lightly gelled fruit soup with lots of fruit in it and a little bit of cream perhaps to cakes and pies and creams so on. So how do you, you know, if you're going to be planning your menu before you can decide on the recipes, there are a few steps that I suggest you take. Now, the first step is what is it that your family and your friends like? What is the tradition? People want traditional desserts. I find this very true with my family and friends. If I don't have a baked Alaska and a Brooklyn blackout cake on the table, no matter what the holiday is, I get complaints. So it's, you know, that's not a problem for me at all, but I want to have desserts that will appeal to, to people who are whole food plant-based, who are looking for something richer. Some people just like a crunchy cookie. Some people want the whole experience before you can decide what you're going to make, it's a good idea to stop and think about the flow. Now at Ruby, across all of our courses, mise en place is king and queen and emperor. That means gathering all your ingredients and getting them prepped. But even before that step, or I think of it as part of my mise en place, how much room in the oven do I have? Do I have one oven? Is it a small oven? Do I have multiple ovens? I have an oven that can fit three sheet pans. That's really good. I also have this Breville countertop oven behind me that works really well. If you don't have enough room in your oven, then going to stovetop desserts is a great idea, such as our slumps and grunts. And if you aren't familiar with these really early American desserts that work very well for Thanksgiving, we have a, there's a live event that you can go into the live event library and find this slumps, grumps, cobblers, crisps, and so on. Many desserts can be made ahead. So that's something to think about. Not only how much room do you have in your oven or on your cooktop, 
but what about your refrigerator? So I tend to clean out my fridge ahead and get ready to store things and my freezer too. Are your spices fresh? Um, I think of this almost like a little bit of a spring cleaning a few times a year. I go into my spice drawer, which is right here. Do a little sniffing. I label and date things that gives me a way to know, gives me at least a ballpark, ballpark about what is fresh. Now, people really do like pies. Pies seem to be very traditional, a very traditional Thanksgiving dessert. Pies are not my favorite, favorite thing to eat but I do eat them on Thanksgiving and I want them to be delicious. Now, as far I did some research and it seems to me that the most popular Thanksgiving pies, I'd like to hear what yours are if you are a pie eating group, pumpkin, pecan, apple. I love cranberry pear pies and galettes. So, and I have a photo, I think, Patrick, I'm just going to ask you to run all the photos right now. Let me know when they're finished on the screen and I'm going to go grab my pumpkin pie that's behind me. Okay. So that was something that I made ahead. Uh-huh. Galettes mean you don't have to use a pie pan. You're still making pie dough, but you're just folding the dough over the filling. It's a really nice thing to do. It's easier and pretty. They're very rustic. Uh-huh. So I've been making pie dough <laughs> these last few days for sure. And actually within the essential vegan desserts course, there are assignments that I grade. And one of the assignments is to make pie dough. And the pie dough that we make is based on oil. It's an oil-based crust, not a butter crust. And of course, butter can be swapped out for, dairy butter can be swapped out for vegan butter. I chose to teach the oil-based crust for a few reasons. Not everyone has access to vegan butter. Now you can make some vegan butter. We have a recipe for that in the course as well. But the vegan butter that you need to use, you can't use a spread. And you may have noticed if you are using vegan butters that there are differences. So you need one that will behave as close to a dairy butter as possible. Um, actually, oil-based crusts are not something that's new. There are cultures that use oil to make their crusts. I wanna show you something that I think is very interesting. It's in my fridge. But my oils of choice are sunflower. I think it tastes almost buttery and extra virgin olive oil for a pie crust. I want one that has a more neutral taste unless I'm making, unless I'm making 
and Italian dessert. So I'm going to turn around here, open my fridge, my new lovely fridge, because I, I found this pretty fascinating and I wanted to share it with you. This is olive oil that I put in my refrigerator and you can see that it's solid, right? Just from being in the fridge. This is sunflower oil. It's very nice and cold. It's very nice and cold, but it isn't solid. So there's something in, in the oil itself that is different. Now with pies, there are a couple of rules, absolute rules. With any desserts, you want to measure carefully. Our recipes are written in cups and teaspoons and like so, so on. I encourage everyone to follow the recipe because we have students all over the world. The flour is different depending on where you are and weigh your ingredients. It's much more accurate and then keep track of it. So I have a couple of scales. This particular one shows me, I can um, see ounces, pounds, grams, milliliters, and I find it very, very handy, but I keep a note. If there are lots of charts now that will say, you know, one half cup of all-purpose flour weighs X. Well, that's true, but look at a couple of different charts and it's you're going to have some wiggle room. It doesn't matter all that much, but the more accurate you can be, the better it is. Everything should be cold. So your flour, your fat, and your water. The pie dough takes a very, it's definite amount of flour. I use 50% all-purpose flour, 50% whole wheat pastry flour. Not whole wheat flour, that's good for bread. I don't want a cracker. I want a pie crust that's flaky and whole wheat pastry flour and four tablespoons, that's just two ounces of very cold oil. And there's a technique for cutting it into the flour, for coating the flour with the fat. The water can range from two and a half tablespoons to four. There's also vinegar in the pie crust. The vinegar is going to help to keep the gluten down. Gluten is necessary. But we're, again, we're not making bread. We want something that's tender. So I put the apple, I use apple cider vinegar in the smallest amount of water. And then there are steps. And sometimes my students will say, oh my gosh, this took so long. But the fact is that pie doughs need to rest. So first you make it, you make the disc, you refrigerate it. Then you roll it out, you refrigerate it to let it rest again in the pie pan. It's the same thing with a butter crust. You would do the same thing. I know that I put in the Q&A a link to a recipe. King Arthur is quite reliable. Their recipes are quite reliable and they have a vegan butter crust. So if you're interested in making a butter crust, you can, you can try that. But I think the oil-based crusts are really, really great. Now, I like to serve foods that at least give a nod towards the early people in our country, in this country. So 
cornmeal, I use fresh cornmeal and I would encourage you to do the same thing. Cornmeal is high fat, but it's a healthy fat. So it can, that means it can get rancid quickly. I store it in the fridge and freezer. Stove, don't forget stovetop desserts, that's for sure. Now I wanna show you my pies and then I'm gonna get right to the question. So I have two slices of pumpkin pie here. <laughs> and this one, they were both made. Th this comes from a pie that was made yesterday. I'm going to show you the pie. A lot of people like candied nuts on top of their pie. And that's wonderful to get that nice crunch. Again, you know, we're making food that we like or our people like. I love cranberries. I love them so much. So this is part of a cranberry galette that I will be making. This was, I baked the pie last night. I let it set. I tested to see if it could be cut. I enjoyed a slice. It was more custardy. Then I refrigerated it. And this is firmer because I want to do testing. I mean, I don't know, some of you may be watching Lessons in Chemistry, and it's about a chemist named Elizabeth Sott who likes to cook and treats cooking very seriously. I'm always testing. I froze a piece. I could afford to lose this if it wasn't good, but it's actually delicious. So I learned that this particular pie can be frozen. Also, I was with my kids this weekend. They're in Bucks County, and I made a cranberry apple galette. We ate quite a bit. I brought some home. I wanted to see how it held. And then I had some in Tracy's freezer that I forgot. So I called her up last night and said, do me a favor. <laughs> I want to know for my live event, would you please let it defrost and tell me how it tastes compared with what I brought. And she said it was exactly the same. So anything that you can do ahead, go ahead and do it. Things that can't be frozen, think in terms of component, what can be made first, what can be made next, and then assemble them as you go along. So let me get to the questions now. I just have to pull them up on the screen. Here we go. Okay, Valentina has a question. Oh, I like this question because I like what I like the dessert I'm going to I'm going to offer. Uh, she, Valentina wants to know if I can suggest some uses for broken meringue cookies. I certainly can. One of my favorite desserts of all times, and it couldn't be easier. It's an easy way to use bits up is something called Eaton Mess. And it's from the school in the UK called Eaton. It is pieces of meringue and a custard or a cream and fruit. And that reminds me, I have some cream to pull out now <laughs> so I don't forget. All right, because so here are some creams. Now, this is an example of something I would make for Thanksgiving and either keep it in my refrigerator for a few days or freeze it and defrost it. Okay. Hi, Julia. Julia's asking about the best suggestions for pumpkin pie, cashew versus 
tofu versus other options and the best crust to go with it, nut versus gluten-free graham crackers and so on. Well, it's really personal. And thank you for this question, Julia. It's really personal. This particular pie is made with tofu. Tofu here is silken tofu, not extra firm Chinese style tofu. Here, tofu is replacing the eggs. I don't want the pie to taste like tofu, any tofu-based dessert or a dessert that has tofu as a component. You should never taste it and think, oh, I almost don't taste the tofu. You shouldn't taste it at all. Um, the reason that I do choose the tofu is, number one, I am not a soy avoider. I think soy is very healthful. There's a lot of protein in tofu. So I have said this before, and I'll probably say it every single time I meet with you, is that desserts are a treat. I don't rely on desserts for my health, but we can make them healthier. Anyone who, who is here today, who was here last month when registered dietitian Vasanto Molina was with me, and we talked about protein in desserts. So there is sweetener in here for sure. Pumpkin is healthy um, and the tofu. So I like that. But I have seen pumpkin pies that are cashew cream based, that some are made with whipped aquafaba. So it's more like a custard dessert. In terms of the crust for your pumpkin pie, this would hold for any pie that you're making. Um, this pie is baked and the filling isn't, isn't soft and runny. So I didn't pre-bake the pie crust. I wanted a pastry dough crust. Earlier you saw tartlets that were, were pressed, made with nuts, or you can use graham cracker crumbs, you can use nuts, you can use oats, you can use dates, anything that will stick together, press it into the tart pan and freeze it or bake it. You're not going to bake one that is date-based, but a nut crust can be baked. So that is entirely up to you. I don't care for, I have never had a gluten-free pie crust to date that I think tastes good. So when I need something that's gluten-free, I do a nut or seed crust instead. Hi, Chef Char. This is my very good friend, Chef Char Nolan, who is an instructor at Ruby. And I'm very excited to say that we're getting together tomorrow. But this is a great question, Char. Thank you for this question. I just want to move the pies out of the way because this is a super question. So Chef Char is making her own confectionery sugar, confectioner sugar using maple sugar. And her question is, uh, is it necessary to add one tablespoon of cornstarch per cup. I've never done that before and saw a recent video about it. Thank you for that question, Char. So I have all these sweeteners here. So let's just define what confectioner's sugar is. And confectioner's sugar is generally, it is cane sugar that has been pulverized. And it's also called 10X. There are 
some that you'll see in professional kitchens that are XX and XXX. The more X's, the finer it is. So we can make a facsimile, but we can't really make confectioner's sugar. What we can make is, there's my confectioner's sugar. We can make super fine sugar by grinding our sugars. Now, when I bring home from the market organic vegan cane sugar, which isn't white, it's tan, I keep some in a container that says cane <laughs> and some that says lightly ground. And, and this is my um, confectioner's sugar. I also have cane sugar that I grind very fine. So it looks like confectioner's sugar, but it doesn't have the starch in it. This is maple sugar. So my maple sugar char is already very fine. And I would like to, it smells so good because maple sugar is nothing but maple syrup with the water boiled off. I once made some, it's not very efficient, but I wanted to see. Um, so I might grind this more finely, even though it's quite fine. What I do is I don't add, I don't add starch to this. The starch is there simply to keep the sugars from clumping together. And so if you have a recipe that's calling for sugar and you swap out for confectioner sugar with starch in it and vice versa, that's not a really good idea. What I do instead is I use these food grade silica packs and I put them in my sugars and then I put my sugars in very airtight containers and that usually does the trick. I have, this is sucanat, which is whole cane sugar and it's very coarse when you buy it in the store and it's ground and I've got a silica pack in there and I've got all kinds of sugars here that I'm just gonna put back. This is, I wanna show you. So this is my sugar that you could say is confectioner sugar because I think you can see it's very, very finely ground. I don't have any, I don't have any starch in here. Interestingly to me anyway, when you buy confectioner's sugar that is organic or vegan, which is usually one and the same, more often than not, the starch is tapioca instead of cornstarch. I don't know why. I mean, I'm thinking it's because it's more difficult to find organic cornstarch, although I get organic cornstarch. So um, that's something that you can do, Char. I, I don't think you need to use the starch. Also, confectioner sugar is also seen as icing sugar. There are various names depending on where you are in the world. Maybe you can bring me a little bit of your maple confectioner sugar. I'd love to see it. Hi, Ashley. Ashley wants to know about making vegan creme brulee without coconut cream. She's trying to reduce saturated fat, although she's sure it's delicious. Well, <laughs> 
you can definitely make vegan creme brulee. Um, that's, it's like a set custard with a crackly sugar top. You get the crackle from burning sugar on top. So this is the creme brulee from my cookbook, Vegan Chocolate. And I didn't remember the recipe. I saw your question. I'm like, hmm, am I, am I making it with coconut cream? I don't think so. No, I made this with cashew cream, thick, basic, thick cashew cream. And it's delicious. And it's set with a little tiny bit of agar powder. So definitely you can do that and it will be delicious. Sharon wants to know how she can make her sweet potato pie fluffy. Well, I'm going to send anybody with sweet potato pie questions over to Sweet Potato Soul. She's a friend of mine from New York, although I moved to Philly and I think she's, she was in California. Janae is her name. I make sweet potato pies fluffier because sweet potatoes are dense and delicious <laughs> by adding an amount of squash to them and really creaming them together. So the squash is going to lighten up the sweet potatoes and then adding a starch slurry, like an arrowroot slurry or an organic cornstarch slurry and that's going to give you a fluffier sweet potato pie. And speaking of sweet potato pies, <laughs> I was, I don't remember what, what conference. Oh, thank you. There it is. Conference I was at, but I met Dan and I got some big vegan marshmallows. Um, I never, well, I'm not a person that really cares so much about burnt marshmallows on top of my pie, but people really like it. So there are nice vegan marshmallows available to you. Hi, Dan. Dan M. Dan Marek is another of our Ruby instructors and he's great. So when Dan does a live event, make sure you look for him. And Dan is saying he's going to be using some of my tips for next week. Well, thank you, Dan. That's high compliment. Hi, Lisa. It's good to see you. This is great to see some old friends and meet some new ones. Lisa loves olive oil and cakes and pastries, but I teach oil-free options for my coaching clients, like applesauce, vegan yogurt. What are your favorite options? How and when to use them? Lisa, I love, I've been following you and I'm really interested in the work that you're doing with your coaching clients. There really isn't a quick answer I can give you. We have a whole unit in essential vegan desserts on oil-free baking. And the best advice I can give you is to take a recipe, cut it in half, cut it in a quarter, as long as you maintain the integrity of the dessert. So what I mean is instead of baking a cake, maybe bake two cupcakes so that you know, or a small pie crust or something like that. And try with applesauce, with uh, another fruit puree, and with vegan yogurt and see what happens. I'm finding lately that 
tahini, which is something that I love. And my favorite tahini is Sum, uh, from, which is a company founded by sisters in Philadelphia, works as a fat replacer. It's, if you are 100% oil-free, you're going to find differences. You can make things taste good, but they are not going to taste the same by any means. So what I do is, I mean, this is a really small measuring cup, but visually I can see, oh, I've only used one tablespoon of oil to make this whole pan of whatever. So Lisa, we, you know, good luck with that. And I know that you are a very accomplished cook and chef, and you will be able to figure something out. Applesauce has the most neutral flavor for sure. But what you're talking about are things that are binders and the, the texture is going to be a bit different. Erin um, wants to know if I have a recipe suggestion for vegan whipped cream. There are a few, Erin. Um, there is some a vegan whipping, a vegan heavy cream. I think it's Violife. I see Kathy Gold is here. You might remember what it is, Kath. And it makes a really delicious whipped cream. Um, it whips very well. It has ingredients in it that I don't normally use, but whipped cream is, you know, whipped cream isn't something you eat every day. Some of you may know uh, the Cake Bible, the Pastry Bible, Rose Levy Berenbaum. She was here visiting me. Um, just last week, and I had some of this whipped cream in my fridge. Now I haven't tasted traditional dairy whipped cream in a really long time. So I asked Rose and her husband Woody to taste it. And they said to them, it didn't taste just like whipped cream, but it tasted good. Another, other suggestions for vegan whipped cream, if you don't want to buy this heavy cream and they aren't all the same, you know, I tested three brands and this was the only one that I liked. Um, you can do aquafaba and that whips, it makes a whipped topping or some people whip coconut milk or coconut cream, the heavy part that is on top of the can of full fat coconut milk when you keep it in your fridge. So it's definitely possible Hi, Julia. Julia is looking for gluten and dairy-free dessert options, including pears and almond flour. Well, I like pears. <laughs> I feel like I bring pears home and I'm waiting for them to get ripe. And if I don't keep my eye on them 100%, they're overripe and then I will roast them. Yeah, what I would do, Julia, is if you remember the little tart that you saw a photo of early on, that was a cornmeal-based pressed crust, any pressed crust you like, baked with some of this cream. So this, and then I would poach or roast or bake pears, depending on the, the size of your tart, either thin strips or dice, and put them on top of the cream, and I think that would be great. This is, well, this is the famous vanilla pastry cream in the course. And I made this the other day. It's so versatile. So 
if any of my students are here who say I couldn't get it thick enough, here it is. If that's the case, you're just not blending it long enough so that the agar is activated. So this is the vanilla. And I put a little bit into a ramekin so that I could test that it could be a tart filling, which you can see from the spoon that it can. And what I did here, I love lemon as much as I love chocolate. I added some lemon juice to some of the cream that tends to thicken it up. I put some lemon zest on top, both because I think it tastes good and I use organic lemons, so I wash them and zest them. If you don't have organic citrus, really scrub, but this would make a gorgeous tart filling. Any of these cashew creams, when frozen, taste like ice cream. So that's really cool. Carol H says, I see you have a Roboku. Oh, yes. This is my Roboku. It's, think of it as, it's what the story goes. It's what the original Cuisinart was based on. And it is amazing. So, huh, Carol, I mean, I think of it as the Vitamix of food processors. Carol says it was her first, a very favorite food processor. Then they stopped making the machines for the retail market. Is that a professional machine? Well, it is a professional machine. And if you had a Roboku, yours was as well. Um, this is old. I have had this probably for 25 years. Carol, I've seen them around. So do an online search. I'm sure you can find them. They're super expensive, but really worth it. I have two bowls, two blades, and I have the <laughs> vegetable shooter thing, but it's great. Hi, Kathy. So Kathy G, Kathy Gold is also a chef and one of my neighbors. And Kathy did a, a live event with me on vanilla, all about vanilla. Kathy knows a lot about vanilla. So if you're interested in vanilla, which is a really important ingredient, you can go and find it. Kathy, I'm going to ask you to think about the brand of the cream that I'm talking about. Kathy loves pear tatin. So do I. So that's like an upside down pie. You know, you can use pie dough in so many different ways. You can make a pie in a pie dish. You can make this free form or rustic galette. Um, you can do a deep dish kind of a situation. I'm trying to think of something called a, oh my goodness, in the, in the, in the slumps and grunts thing, I did this, but where you have a fruit filling and you put the pie dough on top and you cut it into pieces. And that's a very old fashioned dessert. Feels like I'm having trouble keeping a couple of thoughts in my head right now. Sylvia has a question about gluten-free flour for gluten-free pie crust. And she's looking for a heart healthy substitute instead of butter or shortening. Um, Sylvia, my number one favorite gluten-free flour is Bob's Red Mill, one-to-one, all-purpose gluten-free baking flour. Uh, it's complete, and I think it works the best. I just bought some King Arthur cup for cup, 
that I'm going to try uh, in terms of doing a gluten-free pie crust that's also isn't going to use any butter or any fat. That's a real challenge. I would suggest instead of trying to do that, if you would be open to doing a pressed crust with a nut butter instead, I think that would be probably a better idea. And if you can work on what it is that you want, you know, I'm just saying that, but there are a lot of clever people out here and this is an evolving situation. Vegan desserts are really taking over the world. Let me know how it goes. Blanca wants to know what are my favorite go-to vegan Thanksgiving desserts. Okay. I know <laughs> pretty much know what I'm making already. And my daughter will be making some. I will be doing a cranberry pear galette. Now, let me show you something. This is real life, how I do things. What I have in here is, since last night, I've got cranberries that were washed and drained. And I have half the recipe in here. So I have the maple syrup, orange juice, and I used and I reduced the amount of maple syrup for no good reason. Really, I wanted to use some date syrup, which is also called Ceylon. Then I made a line and I wrote, add salt, apples, cornstarch, water, slurry. Because I didn't get that far. And I might think, or you might think you'll remember, but I guarantee you might not. So this will be ready to go. Um, I will be, so I'll be making that. I'll be making pumpkin pie. I will be making baked Alaska because my family likes that. And I actually think having some, a bit of frozen dessert, whether it is vegan ice cream or banana based ice cream is actually, or a sorbet is actually very refreshing after a heavy meal, I will be uh, serving some chocolate pudding for sure and cookies. That those are that's my family request. And then I always like to try something new, something new. I'd love to know what some of yours are. Hi, Dawn. Dawn is asking me for suggestions for vegan cheesecake made without tofu. Tons of vegan cheesecakes without tofu. Um, cashew cream, vegan cream cheese makes a beautiful cheesecake. Lisa's asking if I have a favorite scale. I have three scales, Lisa, and um, the one I showed just before that is very multi-multi is my new favorite one. I have a little teeny tiny one. I keep them right in my drawer here that measures uh, under one gram. And I have this one, which was my original one that pulls out. Send a, no send a note to me or I'll send a note to you with the brands that I like. I'd be happy to do that. But having a scale is phenomenal. It's just so easy. What I, I, what I do is I'll put, let's say, zero it out. That's the tear weight. Put the bowl on, zero it out. 
put the flour in, zero it out, put the next thing in, zero it out. And you're really saving bowls and you know, you're being accurate. Hi, Cynthia. Cynthia says, thank you for mentioning tahini. I wanted to ask you about tahini, but I thought it was too simple for today. Nothing is too simple for today. Just bought some and thought it was wonderful. Tahini is wonderful. It is sesame seed paste and there's lots of protein. It's good for you unless you have an allergy to sesame seeds, lots of protein in it. And I absolutely love it. I just, I'm going to a birthday party next week. The birthday party lady asked me specifically to bring my orange chocolate tahini truffles. And I will do that. Dion has a question. Hi, Dion. Dion wants to know what's the best oil to use for baking. Not a fan of coconut oil. Uh, been using organic canola and avocado oil. Okay. I'm glad that you said organic canola. Unless canola is organic, it is definitely genetically modified. So if you're using canola, which is a, you know, it's just an acronym for Canadian oil. It's really rape seed oil. Um, I use, my favorites are sunflower oil. It's a neutral, but I like, I like it very much. And I like an extra virgin olive oil that's mild. This is California Olive Ranch. If I'm doing an Italian olive oil cake, I use an oil that is greener. And also Dion says he's going to be substituting half the oil with applesauce. Again, I suggest you test because you're going to have a different result from what you might be expecting. Kathy G's favorite is, I know she charged me with doing this. I'm going to do it, Kath. Pumpkin cookies topped with whipped aquafaba, sweetened with raw sugar and ginger snap flavors and torched. That sounds delicious. Absolutely. We're going to do that together, Kathy. Pumpkin cookies with aquafaba, ginger snap flavors. Yum. And you know, Thanksgiving, I don't know if it was probably not traditional. I guess it depends where you were, but ginger and fennel and some of the herbs that specifically are known to help us digest are just great. Catherine wants to know if there's a way to make a vegan pumpkin pie. Uh, no, pecan pie. Well, absolutely. And I'm going to go to my book again and show you. There's my pecan pie. Um, there are many different ways to do it with generally with cooking together several different of the liquid sweeteners. Uh, maple syrup, maybe some agave, rice syrup is going to give it the stickiness. My trick for pecan pie or anything pecan is I slow roast the pecans really slowly, like a 225 degree oven. I never walk away when I've got nuts in the oven and that just gives them a wonderful flavor. Dion wants to know what tips I have for decreasing the fat and sugar content in baked goods. Start slowly. Um, the sugar and fat are in baked goods for a reason beyond flavor. Sugar browns things, for example. Fat adds 
fat does very has very specific reasons that it's there. So when I left the professional traditional kitchen, I noticed that early American desserts were really sugar loaded. I think sugar was very cheap then and also was a way of preserving foods. Uh, so I started limit, I started eliminating some of the sweetener to a point. And some of you have heard me say this, I was working as a pastry chef and I took almost all the sugar out of the recipes, brownie, uh, the restaurant's brownie recipe. <laughs> and the boss said, Costigan, you're making brownies, not brown bread, put the sugar back in. So you can decrease some, again, you're going to have to do a test. Hi, Laura. It's good to see you. Laura says she's tried and failed to create a rich, dense gingerbread loaf. She has achieved a delicious ginger cake crumb, but that's not what she's after. Laura is a very talented recipe developer, a graduate of plant-based pro and essential vegan desserts. So I am sure you're going to get this dense gingerbread loaf that you're after. If you've got a ginger cake with a delicate crumb is what I'm thinking, you might want to cut back on some of the fat and some of the liquid and add another form of egg replacement to see if you can get that. I love ginger. Dr. K wants to know if I have a recipe for vegan whipped cream. There are a few. I do a coconut whipped cream or aquafaba whipped cream, or I use vegan whipping cream or vegan heavy cream and whip it. There are many recipes actually, or a couple that I know that really work to make a vegan whipped cream, but they often, the two that I'm thinking of are based on cashew and then loads of coconut oil and they do whip like whipped cream but i'm not personally a fan of that of using that much coconut oil so i don't do it hi janet janet's looking for a recipe for braising chicken thighs and it calls for all-purpose flour she wants to know if she can substitute whole wheat flour well janet i haven't done any cooking any animal food cooking in 30 years so I don't really know the answer to that question. I'm thinking that you could substitute a whole wheat pastry flour, perhaps not whole wheat flour. That's going to be too strong. It's going to have a, a, a different taste though, a different taste. Kim wants to know what alternative to sugar I recommend that's not an artificial sweetener. Well, I don't use artificial sweeteners at all, ever, ever. And I did a, a live event on that as well. There are many reasons, too many reasons to go through them right now. Alternate to sugar. If what you mean, Kim, is an alternate to cane sugar, then I use coconut sugar and I use whole cane sugar, which is cane sugar, but it has, it's the, it's the entire sugar cane with the molasses intact. So I use coconut sugar, maple sugar. All these different sugars are going to add some flavor. So you have to remember that. And they have 
different differing amounts of moisture. So you may have to work on your recipe. And I also have date sugar, very fine, but I don't, I don't bake with date sugar because even the really, really, really super fine, which I'm happy to see now, it doesn't dissolve in the same way. I like maple syrup a lot. I like date syrup a lot. And I like fruit paste as alternative sweeteners. But you need to really know which is going to work with which. And I don't want to discourage anyone because it's actually super fun to do these things. And, you know, you might have some recipes that don't work out, but unless they're horrible, which is really unusual. I mean, if you use salt instead of sugar, which I did once, you're going to have to dump it. Otherwise, you take your cake that was too dry or too gummy, dry it out or moisten it, keep the crumbs and make a crust. Sally is asking about getting started in the culinary field. She's thinking of transitioning careers from healthcare. Not sure what direction I want to go with yet. And you're enjoying the courses online. Well, I'm really glad. You know, when I went to culinary school, I was quite a bit older than everyone in my class. I went to New York, uh, New York restaurant school. My kids were preteens. Um, and I went not knowing where I would land. I, I mean, I didn't have an idea. I didn't say, oh, I'm gonna be a restaurant chef or I'm going to be a caterer, or I'm gonna be a cookbook author. What I will say, Sally, is what you're doing about taking, taking courses is a great step because there's a lot to learn. And then one of the real beauties of being in this field is there are so many different directions. So speaking for, you can try them on. Speaking for myself, I worked in restaurants. I didn't really want to be a restaurant chef, but I thought it was important to have the experience and I'm glad I did. I was a caterer. I was a private chef. That's a wonderful thing to do for individuals. And I've done a lot of teaching, both hands-on, in-person, demo, and online. I've done uh, classes in on cruise ships, in spas, and so on. So try first learn, take these courses and then try out different things that are available to you and see what you like the best. Jody wants to know, this is a really interesting question. Which one dessert would you serve to a non-vegan family? Here's the thing, Jody and everyone. <laughs> a vegan dessert shouldn't taste vegan. And in my opinion, it she shouldn't say, oh, <laughs> look, we're having a vegan dessert tonight. Or look, this dessert is vegan because something's going to happen in people's head and they're going to think it's not good. So <clears throat> a vegan dessert should be unapologetically delicious. It should not taste any different from a good traditional dessert. And I've had some butter, sugar, egg, traditional desserts that didn't taste good. <clears throat> Jody, what I would do is I would think about something that's familiar so when I talk about my blackout cake, it's a chocolate cake that's filled and frosted with chocolate pudding. Most people like chocolate. 
Most people like chocolate pudding. It's familiar to them. So pick something that's familiar. Uh, Yamil wants to know a good flour mix for gluten-free desserts. I use packaged mixes. I use Bob's one-to-one, um, one-to-one -one, all-purpose baking flour, but there are so many different gluten-free flours and you just never want to use just one or two. You really need a combination. You really want a combination. So the gluten-free suggestions that, you know, that I can give people who are looking for gluten-free desserts. Now, I'm not gluten-free, but I recognize how many people are. So, you, you know, there are a lot of desserts that are naturally gluten-free. Baked apple, poached pear, for example, uh, lightly gelled fruits, creams, chocolate pudding, truffles. <laughs> there are so many desserts that are already gluten-free that you can really go there. Lisa says, thank you. I need to take your course. Oh, Lisa, I would be delighted <laughs> if you would come into the course. Um, excuse me. I've got this little, I don't know. I don't want to say frog in my throat. Well, anyone who wants to come into the course, I would be delighted to work with you. And Carol says, thanks and have a great Thanksgiving. I want to thank all of you for being here today. And the questions were fabulous. I really appreciated seeing them and having the opportunity to answer them. I'm wishing everyone a happy, healthy, joyous Thanksgiving and let's take care of ourselves and take care of one another and i'll look forward to seeing you in december take care everyone happy holidays <music>